Vitamins and antioxidants have been hypothesized to be helpful in a variety of conditions, and many of our patients take these hand over fist. But is there really any good data about their efficacy and their safety in conditions such as cancer? You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host. And with me today are Dr. Victor Montori, Associate Professor of Medicine and Director of the Knowledge and Encounter Research Unit at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and Aditya Barda, doctor and instructor at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. Dr. Bardia, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, you're welcome. When we think about vitamins and antioxidants, what is the theory? Uh, why would it, we hypothesize that they would be helpful in cancer? So previous studies that were done on this topic uh, showed that people who were consuming high amounts of fruits and vegetables had a lower uh, risk of cancer. And fruits and vegetables generally have high amounts of vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. So it was hypothesized that uh, antioxidants could potentially reduce the risk of cancer. And then when we try to take these compounds out of the fruits and vegetables, we're left with things like vitamins. And are there other compounds that have come up in this regard? So there are multiple antioxidants that are present in fruits and vegetables. They include beta-carotene. Uh, lycopene, vitamin A, vitamin E, and there are multiple other compounds also. Then you have put together a review article, and tell us about how you went about looking at the question of these kind of compounds and their efficacy in cancer. So this was actually a systematic review and meta-analysis. What this means is that we looked at all the studies that were uh, done on this topic, essentially any study that had looked at antioxidants for prevention of cancer, we included those studies and then came up with a pooled estimate of the efficacy of antioxidants for prevention of cancer. And there were specific antioxidants that came up repeatedly that had been looked at? Yeah, the three most common antioxidants were beta-carotene, vitamin E, and selenium. And so that was the focus of this particular review. That is true. Dr. Montori, we were just talking about the review that you had done, the meta-analysis, and that there were 599 trials identified. How did you take the next step to sort these out and look at them? What is fundamental in this methodology is that one will have to have a reason to include or exclude studies as you move forward in trying to summarize what the um, best available research evidence is on the topic. So we had pairs of reviewers looking at these articles independent of each other and with uh, a uh, criteria set, of, set ahead of time for what studies can provide that information. And we went from 599 articles to 33 potentially eligible studies, but in closer evaluation of them, now in full text, we only identified 12 that could provide enough information in a valid fashion to answer the question we had. So this narrowing down is what your listeners will be able to relate to the fact that when they hear the news that this study showed a major effect in this direction, and then a few days later that another study showed a major effect in the opposite direction, not all of those studies are equal in terms of their credibility. And what we're doing here is trying to summarize all the studies that have a high degree of credibility in trying to provide to the public the best available answer. And I imagine some of those parameters included they needed to be randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled? Uh, yes. The studies that provide the uh, most convincing uh, findings are those in which participants do not choose 
to take, in this case, the antioxidants, but rather are assigned to take those antioxidants by a random process. That process of randomization is the key factor that allows us to then say that any difference in destiny, any difference in outcome of these patients is likely due to the exposure that they've had in terms of whether they received antioxidants or not. So our eligibility criteria for these studies were that they had to have at least one year of follow-up so that we could see an effect of the antioxidant exposure on the risk of cancer and the risk of dying from cancer. They had to test any of these antioxidants uh, that uh, my colleague has mentioned are common in supplements as well as in foods. And they should have adequate reporting of the outcomes, and they should be related to the primary prevention of cancer. That means the participants in the studies should not have a prior history of the cancer that was uh, hoped to be prevented. Obviously, that's the best data. Is there something we lose in going from almost 600 trials down to just 12? Is there any risk of impacting the validity of the findings? Yes. When one looks at the data, every time one tries to narrow down the data that can be entered into a study like this, the risk is that some data will be left out. Some of the data that is left out in this sort of procedure is observational data, that is, studies in which patients or physicians, but in this case mostly will be individual, healthy individuals in the community, decide to take antioxidants, for instance, or decide not to take antioxidants. And then a researcher goes back and looks to see what destiny these individuals have. And the issue here is that Individuals, for instance, who have healthy habits, exercise often, eat fruits and vegetables, eat a healthy lifestyle, and choose to take supplements, for instance, may in fact have a lower incidence of cancer and uh, than people who uh, choose not to take antioxidants but also choose not to lead a healthy lifestyle in terms of healthy diets and exercise. So you can't untangle whether uh, the destiny of these patients of having fewer cancers is related to the exposure to the antioxidants or it's related to the other healthy choices they make in their lives. So what we lose here is numbers of studies, but what we gain here is a lower risk of bias introduced by individuals' preferences here for a healthy lifestyle and for the use of antioxidants that are present in observational studies. So in this field, it's actually particularly notable that observational studies tend to show positive answers uh, because, again, the choice of taking antioxidants is related to other healthy habits that these individuals will have. And reminds me uh, of what seemed to be incorrect conclusions uh, about postmenopausal estrogen that were originally based on observational studies that uh, were kind of overturned once we had the prospective studies. Yeah, the analogy with estrogen is very good because there, in fact, the key hidden factor appeared to have been socioeconomic status. So women who had greater access to physicians who were more worried about their health who also likely exercised more and had healthier habits, also were more likely to be prescribed estrogen. And when they were compared to women of lower socioeconomic status who led a less healthy lifestyle, had less access to uh, medical services, also therefore less likelihood of receiving estrogen, the differences in cardiovascular mortality and cardiovascular events was notable and precise in uh, meta-analysis or systematic reviews like the one we're talking about here. But one 
ones that focused on observational studies, ones that randomized trials, like the ones we summarized in this study, once the randomized trials came about, it became obvious that these compounds did not have a protective effect on cardiovascular events of the magnitude we thought when we were relying only on observational data. Even though the observational studies were, were very well done, this problem of individuals choosing the exposure rather than uh, the exposure being assigned at random creates a, a, a bias that cannot be necessarily corrected. So we have a very small group of studies that were well done and should be free from bias. And how many patients did this include and what were some of the results? Yes. So the final analysis included 12 eligible trials, nine of which we categorized as having high methodological quality. And the total number of participants in this trial is a whopping 104,196 participants. Oh, so even though we've whittled down the study, still a very robust number of participants. Yes, the precision of the findings in a review is such that we can draw inferences with confidence about the effect seen with these agents. Hi, Dr. Bardia. What did your analysis reveal? For our analysis, we included 12 trials. So it was not nine trials, but we included 12 trials. Uh, nine of them had high methodological quality. And what these trials uh, showed that overall, antioxidants did not have any effect on the cancer risk. Was this subcategorized by antioxidant or type of cancer? Uh, yes, it was. So later on, we looked at specific antioxidants, and what we found was that beta-carotene was actually associated with increased risk of cancer as well as death related to cancer. Vitamin E, another antioxidant, did not have any effect on cancer risk or deaths related to cancer. And finally, another supplement, selenium, was found to have some protective effect among men, uh, but not among women. But confidence intervals were wide, uh, essentially suggesting that uh, we cannot say this for uh, sure, and further trials would be needed to confirm the beneficial effects of selenium. Was this specific for any particular type of cancer? Uh, we did look at cancer subsites, and essentially the results were similar. For beta-carotene, the uh, cancer sites that are related to smoking, such as lung cancer or um, intestinal cancers, those cancers were particularly increased with beta-carotene. But for vitamin E and selenium, it didn't matter. In these trials that you identified, were the doses and the way that the participants took these antioxidants consistent? They were not identical, but pretty much similar. And we also did a sensitivity analysis looking at different dosages, and the results were essentially similar. So the dosage does not seem to impact the bottom line conclusion. That is true. Dr. Montori, can you summarize for us the important points for practicing physicians around the country? Yes, uh, Lee. The important point here is that in terms of the topic, I think uh, our review conclusively uh, summarizes that antioxidants in general do not have a role in the prevention of cancer, that beta-carotene is particularly harmful uh, among smokers and should be avoided, and that selenium is something we can keep an eye on in the future as it holds some promise. The the second conclusion I think can be drawn from this is that summarizing the evidence and using systematic reviews and meta-analysis is profoundly helpful to the medical community. Clinicians, uh, listeners of your program may have been exposed recently to meta-analysis in other areas in which there's criticism of the method as uh, not being as valid as the individual studies that are summarized. And this is very misleading. I think clinicians, if 
they should be consuming any kind of medical research. They should prefer to consume systematic reviews and meta-analysis that summarize the evidence with mechanisms to prevent the intrusion of error and bias in the findings. I think at the end of the day, the systematic reviews not only provide a summary that it's transparent and clear, but it's also, like in this case, very definitive in our ability to then help patients and clinicians make decisions that are more consistent with the evidence. So here again, clinicians and patients, when they're discussing antioxidants, can go back to this uh, paper in the Mayo Clinic Proceedings and discuss it together and see how antioxidants in general don't play a role. And in fact, smokers should avoid beta-carotene. And, you know, clinicians and patients should not rush to the use of selenium, but in fact, wait until we are, can be more clear as to whether selenium has a beneficial effect and in, in what capacity and to what extent. So I think meta-analysis are clinicians' friends, and clinicians should uh, be able to learn to read them and find them in medical journals and use them more often. Well, I want to thank Dr. Montori and Dr. Bardia from the Mayo Clinic. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions through our website at reachmd.com, which now features our entire medical show library and on-demand podcasts.